So, Luke, how the heck are you? Terrible, you. No, I'm great. Are you great? I'm okay. I mean, like, yeah. you know, been better, been worse. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Fair uh... enough. <laughs> There's always some mysterious <laughs> secret about Luke. At one point in time, it was his last name and where he worked. And now it's his general state of his life. We'll get there, kids. Yeah. We'll get there. That's actually kind of, I mean, not that I want to talk about that, but there's some things that <laughs> go on. Why can't we just like be normal? Because there's an audience. And say, Here, here's the thing that we're not going going to do. Instead, it's like, let's just go through it. Like, instead of just walking around that glass, let's just like run right through it. It's a catching fox's way. Noble. Grr. So, Gilmer, what I should have done is told you to listen to this Five Iron Frenzy song before we recorded. I've probably heard it before. What is it? What is the name of the song? No, you haven't. It's uh, I've seen the sun. Okay. It's from their their second to last album, which means that for them, because they come out with albums very sporadically, now that you know they're all this came out in like 2013, I think, if I'm right. So it's just 10 years old. And it's you know, I, I so there's this phrase. Have you ever heard this phrase called uh at 20 you have the face you're born with at 40 you have the face you deserve yeah that comes from uh george orwell at the age of 50 everyone has the face they deserve it, it was 50 i thought it was 40 well the george orwell quote is at the age of 50 but i don't know if i believe uh, you i'm sure okay fair enough it's just quoted from alistair mcintyre and after virtue which is fine okay so i've still got time well okay there goes the entire point of my topic for tonight what do you got what do you mean? What's going on? What's what? what? Well, I mean, like we're not. Uh, I, I wanted to try. To, I wanted to try to relate it to our own own lives, and kind of a bummer when you're ten years off from the age of the quote. Ah, uh, I look at your face. You have the face. You no, I have the face of a thirty-six year old. Uh, do you? Ah, how old would you guess I? Uh, now it's probably. I'm, I'm probably getting close. I used to have a at least forty-four. Forty-four, <laughs> like a like a sad forty-four. <laughs> I reject your hypothesis. Usually I get about two years younger or so, two to three years younger. These bags, though, holy crap. I just really want to thank Everly last night for screaming at three in the morning. And then the only way to calm her down was to sleep in her room next next to her because we've taken out her bed so she can't jump off of it because, you know, I mean, and not even the bed. I'm talking the frame. So yeah, uh, right. no, yeah, I was absolutely. on the phone the other day with someone with uh, John Henry from the idea center at Notre Dame. Very cool thing. But anyways, so we're, uh, we are talking about some stuff related to the new job and Everly is on top of her bed. Like, so we've got this Ikea bed, right? And the Ikea beds, you have the boards and then the boards are all connected through some type of string or something. I don't really know. Yeah. And so she, she has removed the mattress. She's removed her blankets, her toys, everything. And she is standing on the boards and she is pulling the boards off one by one. (laughs) And it's just, it's just like death. I welcome you. Yeah. (laughs) Like, but like, not as like, not as like a friend to be greeted like Harry Potter. It's like, no, 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 you're my enemy, and through Christ I shall conquer you right now. Let's go. It's go time. Yeah. I can't wait for the, the, the Paschal Mysteries. I want it now. You know? And s- oh, oh, I found your sting, and it's smacking my face against a support And board. so I'm like, holy crap, uh, she's going to get severely hurt if I don't intervene right now. So I go, and I, yeah. and I intervene, and I ended up, like, I just turn on the Frozen. That distracted her for a bit. And then I was trying to take down her bed frantically to remove it out of her room after the call, obviously. And so 
I go and I do that and she just wakes up and she's screaming and she's like tearing up the blinds. It's just, you know, she just is going through this thing where I guess it feels like not a sleep aggression. I don't know. Uh, who knows? Just war all she's, the yeah, time. War all the time. You know, she's turning three in like four months. So whatever. So I'm in her room. I'm like, listen, I'm going to sleep by your bed. You're going to just sleep. And we're just not going to like, I'm just, this is not some f- like fun thing that I'm doing until you behave. This is just the way it's going to be. So, and I wake up, she's moved her, she's moved everything, but her mattress to the other side of the room. And she's like jumping on me and she's trying to cuddle and she's all, all laughing. And she thinks it's the greatest, or the greatest thing in the world. And then she puts her face like right by mine, which is usually kind of cute and nice. And then I kind of feel her, I like feel her lips like by my ear. And I'm like, what are you? And then she just bites right on my cartilage, <laughs> just bites my ear, like Mike Tyson esque. Like I was Evander Holyfield, and it's 1997. She tried to wow. chomp off my ear. And I could see her. Wow. And she like, I'm like, she's never bitten before like that. Like she's never done anything. <laughs> I was just like, what? How old is she now? Uh, okay, let me do some. 27. She's probably 27. No, she's probably, what, three years is 36 months? Sure. Yeah. Let's just say she's 30 months old. Okay. I was saying 30, 27 years old, but that was funnier that I almost got her exact month. Man, that's funny. I had kids, my one kid would bite people in the middle of the back. (laughs) That's one way to do it. I know. I was like, what are you trying to drain their spinal fluid? This is so weird. But she would do that. That's He had bite marks but it's not like you can clamp down so it's like ah it's like they're just trying to gouge you with or like slice you with their teeth it's very weird kids are weird kids are not normal but man they are cute aren't they it is and i here's the thing then she'll get all cuddly and sweet she's like very cuddly right now too so it's like they're either must be war or there must be cuddles there is no middle ground (laughs) it's just like there's nothing but dis- but destruction or just utter love and trust. <laughs> Hello, Father. Today I feel like war, war all the time, <laughs> except when I don't, and I won't prepare you for either. <laughs> and when I don't, I either yeah, want like- the Lion King or Frozen. And here's the thing: I want it fifty times, <laughs> and then I will do the Frozen sequel. You know, the one that's worth that's worse than the shitty first one. <laughs> that part is cool. <laughs> you know it's funny i've never actually seen frozen 2 don't my i was out of town when it came out and uh yeah they were like that was like the most pointless movie ever and i was like it wasn't pointless it made a couple hundred million dollars get that money if let's make a couple hundred million dollars then you're doing okay probably close to a billion yeah I'd, I'd be curious it, it truly is terrible like the songs are actually not bad they're not great but some of them are rather unique, and that's what makes it fun. Like, Kristoff does this. Why are we doing this? Why don't I don't, okay, I don't want stop. to. Uh, yeah, let's, let's switch. <laughs> All right, stop. All right, Switchfoot. Let's talk about Switchfoot. <laughs> yeah, they were cool. John Foreman seems to be a man of integrity. So are we going to do, should we do the, like, the face you get or whatever and apply it to our lives? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So you brought up this very interesting point where you said 20... Uh, 27 and there's this thing that's kind of interesting about that age where like i've heard that a lot of people who have who are schizophrenic it's when they start to have severe signs around that age huh. it's the age of when a lot of rock stars have died janice joplin hendrix the jim morrison kurt cobain one of the ideas behind that is like that's just kind of when life starts to catch up with you a bit so luck yeah. runs out quarter life crisis well yeah but you know like actually 
So you're saying 27 years old. Yeah, this is kind of the age when like like luck kind of not not I I hate to put it this way, but like luck kind of starts to run out a little bit. There's only so many okay. times you can okay. drive behind drunk behind the wheel until you're going to crash. That yeah. that that kind of a thing. You're playing the odds and the odds are running. And it seems to be around that age is when it kind of starts to, you know, things start to kind of go bad. Not always, not 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 for all, but just kind of an, you know, I just think it's kind of an interesting thing. Then I'm thinking about the age of 40. Your 30s, like, we're done with our 30s now. Catching Foxes is yeah. no longer a podcast of two guys in their 30s trying to process their 20s and then trying to process our 20s and their 30s and make money off of it. They're now, <laughs> it's now a podcast of a, of a bunch of guys embracing middle age and making bank off of it. Hey guys, what's up? This is Luke. I'm here today to talk to you about Decided Excellence Catholic Media. Decided Excellence is a print media company that specializes in community and parish magazines. How about that? Magazines making a comeback. Through local business sponsorship, Decided Excellence is concerned with bringing the good news of Jesus Christ to homes and highlighting the actions of the body of Christ in the local community. So props for that. Parishes partner with Decided Excellence Catholic Media to produce a monthly magazine that is sent to parishioners and Catholic-affiliated homes in the parish boundaries. Decided Excellence trains your staff to organize content from the parish. And it really shouldn't be all that too much extra work. So that's always a plus. They wanted to highlight that in there. So make that note. Every magazine centerpiece is a family from the parish that the parish wants to spotlight. This is also an opportunity for parishes to feature their own original content in evangelization and catechesis and to highlight the various ministries of the parish. Extensive Decided Excellence Library, which has articles from Bishop Barron, Scott Hahn, Relevant Radio, Primesoil.com, and much more in the event that parishes need additional content. Decided Excellence does all the designing, editing, and mailing for you. That is huge. That is a big, big time saver for you and your parish. The bulletin is available to people who go to Mass or search it out online. The parish Magazine is the only way to reach 100% of your registered parishioners. Because of our professional design team and production team, the Parish Magazine is superior in beauty and quality. Our magazines are open, kept, read, and shared. And this is why a Parish Magazine is a great supplement to the bulletin. There are parishes all over the country who have created Parish Magazines, and parishioners love them. The magazine communicates the good works of the parish, strengthens community, and has even brought parishioners back to Mass. How to bring one to your parish? Check out decidedexcellence.com slash parish and fill out the information form. Once again, that is decidedexcellent.com slash parish to fill out the information form. One more time for the old people in the back, check out decidedexcellence.com slash parish and fill out the information form. There's tons of possibilities that you can do here, and it's great for you to talk about that with fellow parishioners, parish staff, and the priest at your parish. You can flip through other magazines to see what their magazines are like by going to decidedexcellence.com. Again, that is decidedexcellence.com. Thank you to everyone at Decided Excellence for sponsoring this episode of Catching Foxes. I am not middle-aged. Yeah, you 100% are. We are middle-aged. Oh, I'm medieval. I know. I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, please let me be the 1200s in Paris. <laughs> then I could be the home of Bonaventure and Aquinas. Ooh. <laughs>
I think so. Your thirties are kind of this one. I I remember having someone who worked at a bank that we used to um, we'll work with a lot out in Eureka with the with the international kids. She's the one that we would like take them all over to open up a, ch- a checking account or or whatever. So I we got to know her very well, and I was talking to her, and I was I made some joke about how I was turning twenty seven or twenty, you know, something not not that old at all. And I'm like thirties coming, and she was like, "Your thirties are the absolute best," and I always kept that in mind. And I feel like to a certain extent, I loved my 30s because you've got your crap, but you also know who you are and you're able to enjoy that part yeah. of that part yeah. of the, your life more. There's something interesting that kind of happens when you hit your late oh, 30s or perhaps the uh, age of 40. Life, uh, life kind of creeps up on you. Life kind of life. Life hits back. Life hits back hard. Which, by the way, when Tony Stark says you'll win, when you mess with time, time starts to push back. He goes, you'll find out. What do you think he meant by that? I think the blip, right? Like, it's not so hunky-dory when you just pull people five years into the future. It doesn't just, you know, now you have people who are older siblings who are actually younger than their younger siblings. Right, and that's like now there's these incongruence in everyone's life. Right, See, that's what I used and, to think. But keep going. and it kills Tony. Well, I, I because mm-hmm. now they collect the, the the jewels and you know the the snappy snappy I am I. Well, here's the thing. I agree with you, and I I, I always thought it was about like, hey, look, so you can't just go and do this. It's going to be some type of like a consequence. Yeah. To this the bill always comes exactly. I, I kind of the thing that confuses me is when he goes, "You'll find out." Mm-hmm. Now it feels like it's a quirky Tony Stark, Tony Stark line. I think that's probably how they intended that. I have a feeling that um, maybe, just maybe, Tony did a little bit of like I'm um, something on the side on his own just to kind of see. I'm not saying that he's a variant. I don't think that that's true. But I think that I don't think he I don't think he knows what his um, future is either. I just think there's something there that might play with. This is a very distinct tangent from because I watched Endgame the other day. Yeah. Okay. Fair but, enough. Why don't we go back to the uh, no, 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 no. Let's take it. Oh, we're staying <laughs> no, here. No, no. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. To heck with that. All right. Let me make no, a note. No. So, Forward. anyways, um, the I feel like right now we're entering an age when it's not like so in your late twenties, kind of when you can only out, you know, you know, get drunk behind the car for so long, and for the most part, those are actual cars and actual drinks people are consuming or or drugs. And I feel like you hear a lot of people talk about how their forties were not bad, but had some really tough spots in them. And I feel like there's this thing where life kind of catches up with you. Yeah. And yeah. the the vices start to either like take stronger roots or you know like that that line like what you reap is is what you sow. Thought about that a lot over the past say 20 plus years. Ever since rage against ever since rage against the machine screamed it at at us and <laughs> not you scripture, but <laughs> you Zach de la Roca, sorry St. Paul. And like I just like I can kind of see that now, you know. I can kind of see those things are a little bit too hard. I think for me, it's been a lot of a lot of relationships. Kind of the strain just kind of starts to break, 
around that point in time, and uh, there are things I can't really go into here. But da, da, da. <laughs> da. but like I I do I I bring this up because like I'm thinking about this song by by Five Iron and Reese Roper, who we talked about at nauseum on this podcast before, was about ten years older than us, so he would have written this perhaps when he was in his late on the 30s or around our age. And I, I know when his birthday is, and uh, I believe it's July 1st. So there's, it's a really cool uh, song. The song is about, really about like, you can't avoid suffering. And it's just a part of life, which Pope Francis has talked about is the Christian life, that we cannot, we cannot escape this. It's like pretty simple, but there's actually a lot here. And I think this is very particular when you've hit this this age of life. I've seen the sun come down. I felt its fire burn. And in the dark of night, I hold to its return. I know it's growing cold and there's a lot to learn. I've seen the sun come down. I hold to its return. And it's funny, during the song, they repeat the part and there's a lot to learn. A lot. In that in that song, and I was I was listening to that the other day, and it really hit me. Into, I mean, I have like probably skipped over the song multiple times over the past 10, 10 years, and it was actually Mrs. Ruby Katie Rovagul who was on our show a, a couple weeks ago. She was like, "You got to listen to this song," and so and I did again. I was just like, "Yeah, like there's something about this age where it's like." Oh, like not, it's, it's, it's this weird thing of, and then I'm going to stop and I'm going to let you kind of speak to all of this. I feel like there's something about this age where you've been through some crap and the crap is also catching up, like up with you, but it's nowhere I'm near the end either. There's a lot of profound opportunity to grow from that. And you have this weird, ad, weird advantage where even though you're going through some, you can go through some pretty horrible stuff you also know that you can get through it and be a better person because of it. That was a lot. That was a lot. That was a Luke Ackman rant. <laughs> so the, the, the phrase is, there's a lot to learn. I've seen the sun come down. I hold to its return. It's interesting how like he sings it too, because it's, it's not as in your face as some of their other stuff is. One of the things I've always loved about Five Iron Frenzy, even though I'm not like I never got into them, I only got into certain songs. Join us. Is <laughs> it's cold <laughs> in here? It's warm in here. <laughs> the sun is is bright. No, is he is really good at playing with images, mm-hmm. and like when truth can seem so distant and hope evades your reach, Peter swam across the water and found it on the beach. Right. I love that that phrase from far far away like i think that whole song is just such a a beautiful anthem to hope and i think hope is hope is in a certain sense the most one of the most well let me just put it in this context hope is so important because it's what gets us through the daily right Mm. it's the thing that is the daily struggle Mm -hmm. that i hope things will get better 
And there's a line from Chesterton where he says, Christian hope begins where human hope ends. And I love that line because human hope is dependent on me and my strength to bring it about. But Christian hope is dependent on Christ and Christ's strength to bring it about. And so to have hope, theological hope, means he is both the source of and the object of my hoping, right? My thing of hoping that this impossible thing will eventually resolve itself, that this hurt will finally end, that this trial will finally resolve, right? That this tribulation will finally come to a conclusion and I will be better on the other side. There's hope there, right? But the hope can't come from me entirely because like i want my my passion of hope to my my emotion of hope to grab hold of what christ is doing but there comes a point where i've exhausted all my resources right so case in point so everyone who's listening to the show would know that i struggled for years with you know pornography and stuff like that and i can remember being a man without hope and i can remember thinking Maybe it would just be better if I go to confession and then I'm not paying attention when I walk outside and I get hit by a bus and I die because that's the only way I'm ever going to make it into heaven. And there was a real despair there of me ever finding resolution to whatever the hell is going on inside of me and why you know the dog within me keeps returning to his vomit. And there's so much of, and I really, you know, I, I'm, I went to counseling several times, spiritual direction, all this stuff. And, you know, when you, when you take it from like a moral perspective, hope is longing with a difficulty. Like I desire something like, oh, I want this pen. Well, it's not difficult. I can just pick it up. Now I got the pen. Yay. But if there's a, if there's a difficulty in me obtaining it, that longing then becomes hope. That's human hope. Human hope only exists insofar as I can struggle against that difficulty. And human hope ends when I realize the struggling against that difficulty is impossible. So as long as there's a possibility of me attaining it, then I can have hope. But when that goes away, then I despair. And I honestly can say that there were times where I totally despaired of my ability to come out of the mess of pornography. And I can remember just being like, well, I guess this is my whole life. I'm one of those guys who just has to have this part of his testimony. And maybe I shouldn't give my testimony anymore. (laughs) You know, like all that stuff. And then to actually have hope. Hope became like an anthem. It's my favorite verse. You can't really see it, Luke. Behind my head, it's the picture frame right there. Suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint. And it's from Romans 5, 5. And my wife got me that because she knew that I love that verse because of hope. Hope doesn't disappoint. My hope does because it tends to despair and uh, discouragement. You know, he has that line. What, what was it again? Um, I've seen the sun come down. I hold to its return. The, the kind of the Christian thing that I'm saying is he can't make the sun return, right? He can't do that. It's not his power. So he just hopes. He holds on that the one who can will. And I think you brought up a super good point when you said, like, Reese, we're kind of talking about the every day or like, sorry, sorry, hope. Yeah. <laughs> not Reese. Reese Roper's not Christ that we know of. <laughs> yeah, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Ah, sorry, Lord. <laughs> not funny. No, that hope is like from the from the everyday because I think when you, when you're getting at this age, it's the everyday. It's it's yeah. like what kind of kills you is um it's the mundane. 
Yes, but I'm going to take it a, 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 a step back further from that. This this is not like a rant against like, oh, got to show up to my job again. Right. Today. It's more of a the sufferings that I am experiencing are my own fault. Like, okay. for the most, like, I think at this age, the things that a lot of us tend to be dealing with are not some, like, grave injustice that we have to bear. It's typically the result of, like, a decades of, of vice or vices, decades in the making, yeah. or things that have gone yeah. unchecked, or things that we, you know, I think a lot about Dante and, like, the whole, like, like layers of hell and i think it's so interesting to me that like lust and gluttony are like not in the deepest parts of hell yeah or or like or like the stuff that we tend to talk about the most like heretics like all that stuff it's not like the worst the worst is what you become when you just like engage in it completely and you just let that become part of who you are you know it's not the it's not the desire for that it's not the untamed desire it's not even the desires run wild it's the desires becoming part of you uh you should know this stuff you know like the three things that aquinas something something what what like untamed like desires those are the first couple of um levels that are actually like outside the main gates of hell from what i understand oh yeah okay and then yeah. you've got your things were like they call it bestiality type of stuff where like it's those desires left unchecked or like run rampant. And then you have actual vice, yeah. which is these things have now become habitual. They're a thing that I do as opposed to a it thing. It becomes your character. Yes. Yes. It basically becomes part of like yeah. who you are. It's a thing that I am, not just a thing that I do. Yeah. Yes. And I think by the time you hit the uh, like age, time you hit this kind of stage, of course you can develop a vice mm. in your twenties and your thirties, or, or as a teen. I'm I'm not trying to like argue that, but I'm saying by this point in time, we all we all have them. And, um, the thing is, is like, I've just, I'm like, yeah, like it just, it's, it's kind of funny. Like in your forties, life just starts happening, and if you've been smoking for a long time, you're this is when people start to get cancer if you you know and friends start to die off a bit because terrible shit just happens or shit catches up with them and i'm not trying to like preach safety here i'm actually just trying to tell myself like i i'm in a stage of my life where i've never felt more i've never felt like i've had a more mature outlook but i have never been more desperate for a, a savior either i think what really hits me about that Reach Roper song is you're right. It's like that hope. It, it, he talks about hope a lot. Hope is one of the it's constant yeah. themes in, in a lot of his yeah. work. And I love that you talked about hope as being part of the mundane. I don't think I've ever really understood. I've always like viewed hope as this dramatic thing. Yeah. So it, when I was in my sacraments class, Doctor Regis Martin said, "What is the sacrament of daily life that we need the most?" I would argue that it is confirmation. And no one thought he was going to say that. And he said, confirmation is often associated with hope, for you cannot move but one step in the Christian life without the Holy Spirit. And I was like, huh, okay, okay, I'm not really following. But the idea of hope is there is something difficult to attain, and on my own, it's impossible. All right? So why go forward? See, that's the thing, is why go forward at all? That's why the daily life matters. Like, why go forward? 
at all if you're not going to attain it, if you despair. And many people do despair. And there's the wreck of many lives uh, that this world can mark, right? I mean, we see it on the news every day. So when you're faced with suffering, when you're faced with disillusionment, what crosses, what makes you stay in the fight, right? What makes you stay, even if you feel like your job is dead end, you don't actually think that because you think, well, if I keep plugging at it, maybe something will be better here. Maybe something new can come about, you know? And if it is a dead end job, if you don't draw any love from it or whatever, if your life feels dead end then the most rational thing you could do is try to change something or many things because you realize like, okay, well, this avenue is, is impossible. But the daily walk, I mean, so one of, one of the big things for me was hope because I needed to know that there was something outside of myself because myself was what was failing. And if Christ can't give that to me, like just what you said, like I've never been more mature, meaning I, I know who I am. I feel like I don't have to bluster and pretend, you know, I don't have to tell, I don't have to pretend as, as much to impress other people, right? Like this is who I am. I can't fake it anymore. I'm not going to grow magically an ability to handle complicated logistics. That's not me, <laughs> right? I'm not going to be good at the small things people call us to try to be consistent in. Yeah. yeah. I'm not going to all of a sudden have follow through. <laughs> I won't be right? detail oriented or truly be able to multitask. <laughs> yeah, I don't shower myself properly. What are we talking about? No, uh, I still won't pay my taxes. My <laughs> wife will have to hound Luke to complete the taxes so we can get them done. And Luke didn't do it. Um, I did too. So uh, eventually, after my yeah. wife hounded you, it's fine. Don't worry about it. I, I mean, I love. I had hope that you would get it done. You never gave um, me a date. The, <laughs> oh, I thought you would know that by February first, we all had to have it in. It's, a, uh, it's so April fifteenth thing, Luke. April 15th for taxes, but you need to give the revenue so that we can hand it to our CPAs and pay them. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know you had to have it by February 1st. At the end of January, all your 1099s have to be sent out. It's not a 1099. It's a K-1. It's your responsibility just as much as it is mine. <laughs> so? <laughs> but the funny thing is, I have become okay with being a, a, a zero in, in one uh, in things in my life. But at the same time, like, the, the, the idea, I like what you said. I've never been more mature in Outlook, but I've also never been more aware of my need for a savior. And I would argue the more you grow in the first one, the more you grow in the second one, which is why JP2, near the end of his life, he said, the older I get, the more convinced I am that all of prayer is petition. At the end of the day, we're begging him for everything. you know. Mm -hmm. And I, honestly, when I first heard that, I was like, no, it's about praise and thanksgiving and blah, blah, blah. And now I'm like, yeah, we don't, we don't even give ourselves the praise of thanksgiving. Jesus has to give us the Eucharist in order to say thank you to a God. What do you get a God who has everything? Uh, God. And that's what the Eucharist is, right? And so, yeah. No, time with you. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's what I mean. I, I, no, but, like, but that's actually kind of interesting because I'm, I'm going to draw this as a comparison. I want to be careful how I put this, but um, I talked about how before over like Christmas, how I spent time with my aunt and uncle because they were just like, what can you give us that like it's gonna really blow our minds, Luke? What? There's not a damn thing. <laughs> so what they were what they were really trying to say was like, we just want time with you. There isn't anything that like we want besides time time with you. And it's kind of interesting when you like when you when you when you think about what do people when they're older, and I'm not trying to say that D and Wade are old. <laughs> I'm just trying to say like when it's like, hey, 
there isn't anything that you can add to my life that's going to be better than time with you. Mm-hmm. Like, that's super interesting. Like, comparing that to God, that idea of, like, the Eucharist is the thing that he actually gives to us. Like, our prayer of thanks is a, is a gift from him. Yeah. Because it's ultimately just time with him. Sorry, yeah. that's a dumb analogy. Let's pretend. No, that even our... Like, he had to come and make himself present. If you look at Genesis 3, right, in the fall, like, we abandoned his presence. So then he has to become he has to become one of us in order to give us his presence, right? Like, everything is gift. And there's this great line. So I was thinking about, like, maybe making this the topic for today because I've been reading this book written in, like, 1913 or something like that by a cardinal who is also, who ended up getting involved in the Opus Dei movement he is the son of an Archbishop of Canterbury, an Anglican Archbishop who became a Catholic priest. Uh, I think he became a Cardinal. Benson. Robert Benson, I think. I've heard that name before. Anywho, he, he, he's a famous author. He has a couple books. I can't think of him. Come Rack, Come Rope. Come Rack, Come Rope. Well, this one's called The Friendship with Jesus Christ, something like that. Our Friendship with Christ. And in it, he talks about the, the friendship with Jesus as in the purgative way, right? The first stage of the three stages, purgative, illuminative, and unitive. And he says, in the initial point of conversion, your heart is lit up with Christ. Everything seems to be filled with the presence of God. And I think of like my high school conversion experience, where even difficult things, you're like, who cares? It's for Jesus. Bring it on. You know, like you don't care. Like everything is amazing and awesome. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a tinge of, of divinity everywhere. And then something begins to happen, like six months, a year, two years, whatever. And he lays out what he calls, basically, you can summarize, he didn't call it this, but you can summarize it as this, the three disillusion. Oh, yeah. And I feel like if if this were well Ooh, known. I've heard of this before. Yeah, yeah. I feel, yeah, I really do feel like a lot of our deconstructed, you know, narratives that you hear would would find healing. So the first deconstruction or disillusionment, excuse me, he said, this is when friendship be, is now drawn into um, the purgative way, friendship with Christ. He says, when you encounter a disillusionment with the church, right? And it's the failure of the church, the failure of the priest, the failure of this, the failure of that. And it's like a scandal. It's like, no, 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 no. You, you can't fail. You're the, you're the successor of Peter. You can't fail. You're a priest in the order of Melchizedek. And you realize that the human institutions, which are united to Christ's divinity are, are, are like failing us. Right. Mm-hmm. And, he says you become disillusioned with the church. Typically that's first. And then, but you still have Christ and you still have grace. And he said, the second stage of disillusionment is disillusion with Christ or with grace. And he says, or rather with the imagination of what you think a grace life looks like. And then you realize, well, I'm still me. I'm still in my sin. I'm, I still got all these problems. I still got all this crap. And he said, if the Christian holds on, if the soul is strong, if there's roots there, then you'll go on to the third disillusionment. And in the third disillusionment, it's disillusion with self. Hmm. And so he says it's with church, with Christ, with self, or, or Christ can be like my imagined relationship with Christ. Or could church be like, and he said, could that be viewed as the world or is it just like, is he talking specifically about the institutional So church? he'll talk about, he'll talk about, as the world as well he said because when the soul is in love with christ there is so much um even earthly external things like friendships and work become like beautiful and then all of a sudden they don't and then all of a sudden you're like why is it like this i thought if i followed christ it would be like this forever they said the third disillusionment if someone is wise and strong is the disillusionment with self 
And that's where you begin to realize, like, you are mature enough to realize, I like how you put it, you need a savior. Like, you're the problem. And when you realize in the depths that you're the problem, one of two things happen. You resolve yourself to a repugnant, woe is me. I guess life will always be this way, he said, but you're so close to the truth. And he uses the analogy of Mary Magdalene in The Resurrection, where she's trying, she's talking to Christ, and he says, do not hold on to me until you see me ascend to where I was before, back to the Father or whatever. And he tells her to stop holding on to her. And there's actually a, a famous fresco, one of our, our seminarian residents, John Clark, was telling me that it's a picture of Jesus from uh, Fra Angelico. And Jesus is like this, with his hands raised up like, leave me alone. And in between him and Mary Magdalene is like a palm tree to show like distance. Hmm. And he's saying, don't hold on to me. And the way Benson puts it is you keep clinging to Jesus and especially to your ideas of what a relationship with Christ should be. It isn't until you let that go that then you can let Jesus hold on to you. And then you can feel the, it isn't until the soul casts itself onto God that then it can feel the whole weight and power and glory of God when you're in his hand. And that's when you realize oh, it's not about God serving me. It's about me serving God. And the whole purgative way is getting you to that point that then you can say, holy crap, I, apart from you, I can do nothing. And then the illuminative way is when he readorns with himself, right? And I just think like those disillusionments, the analogy he said is we're first disillusioned with the frame, then the photo, and then ourselves. And then through all of the disillusionments, if we stay strong, we discover behind the photo the reality of Christ himself. And you're like, oh, oh, I like that. I like that a lot. Hmm. Hmm. I've heard this before, but it's kind of interesting in light of this conversation. Hello. Today's episode of Catching Foxes is sponsored by the Amen app. What if the way to deepen your prayer life is actually really simple? Tell me more. You could do it in your car or in your kitchen, in your bedroom or your dorm room, by yourself or with your kids. And it's not just surface level. It's true, deep prayer. That's why the Amen app helps you pray. It's like a guide that walks you through your prayer time. Designed by the Augustan Institute so late Catholics can grow in authentic prayer that fits their daily routine. The look of the app and the sound of the recordings engages your whole self in prayer. On the previous ad read, I mispronounced the word whole. I'll let you guess which word I use instead. The meditations use beautiful images and soothing music to help you relax and let the words sink in for you personally. And you can do that with a whole library of prayers. Put on the rosary, divine mercy chaplet, or start a novena. Improve your habits of praying with scripture through daily readings and reflections led by Dr. Tim Gray. Listen to Catholic meditations for themes like anxiety, courage, mercy, and spiritual growth. It is a super simple app to use. You can adjust the length of the prayers to fit your window of time. And the best part, Amen is free and always will be. This is perfect for Lent. Download the Amen app today for iOS on their app store or for Android on the Google Play store. Again, this is the perfect thing for uh, for Lent. So go and download the Amen app today. It is on the app store for for iOS and for all you people that that have an Android, okay, that is a choice. You can go to the Google Play Store. Again, download the Amen app for your iPhone or your Android on both respective app platforms. Thank you to the Amen app for sponsoring this episode 
of Catching Foxes. Okay, so let me ask ask you this. Where does judgment then come in? Because you hear a lot about in the Gospels, particularly recently, Jesus talking about, you know, I don't judge you, but we live in a super, I mean, we've been super judgmental on this podcast. Like, yeah, we live in a judgmental culture. Cancel culture is, mm-hmm. is in, in essence itself a judgment. Yeah, it's a law without uh, mercy. Where does that come in? Like, like, where does justice come in then as relates to other people? How do you see that in terms of this disillusionment conversation? Well, I think often like the pain, like this, I'm talking about like the crap that we're, that we are doing as we're going through this period of conversion. Quite often we don't yeah. realize how bad it is until we see how much it's hurt other people. So what yeah. are the, like, oh, yeah. if Christ calls it, like, what are they owed? If Christ calls us to not judge, like what are they owed? So when Christ says, don't judge, for the rod in which you measure shall be measured back, the lie at the heart of our judgment is our pride. I mean, there's even a term in psychology called the fundamental attribution error, where when we judge other people, we judge them more harshly than we do ourselves because we understand our own motives and, and lack of, you know, lack of malice, but we predicate malice to others. So one reason why we can't judge is we don't know what's going on in the hearts of others, right? At all. But the other, in, in terms of the weight of the moral guilt that they bear. But the other thing is, and people can be sneaky, sneaky, right? They can be sneaky, sneaky with their with their virtue. They can fake it till they make it. Uh, there's another religious order that I just heard about where about ten years ago, they uncovered that the founder, who was some great canonizable saint, is a disaster and abused nuns and all this stuff. And you hear this stuff and you're like, oh my gosh, how could they fake it that much? But people can, people can, right? So I would say uh, we all stand under the judgment of Jesus Christ. Every one of our actions, as, as Hans Erzma Balthasar says, we all are under judgment until we appear before him as the judge of the living and the dead. The quick and the dead, as it says in the Ordinarian. It's not just a Western movie. When you think that, <laughs> sorry, Jared, what? No? I, my gosh, I had not thought about that in forever. <laughs> Welcome to hell. Um, <laughs> So, uh, <laughs> the dead. uh, so yeah, no, I mean, I would just say that the, the experience of, of judgment is one against the weight of what God has given us and what we've done with it, right? Those who have been faithful in small things will be faithful in, in weightier things. Those who have been, those who have been faithless in small things will be faithless in big things. And when you think about these the judgment. I, one of my favorite things is like, okay, if you want a judgment-free world, you also have to live in a world without ideal. Because the ideal is always a judge that you're not good enough, right? So it's either I have condemnation because I haven't met the ideal, or I'm condoned, but there's no striving because there's no ideal. And the beautiful thing in Christ is the moral lawgiver is also the merciful savior. So that's where justice and mercy reconcile. Because Jesus never says, you don't really have to love each other. You don't really have to put me first. You don't have to love me with your whole mind, heart, soul, and strength. What he says is, you're going to fail seven times in a day, and that's for the righteous ones. And I'm still here to forgive you. But you just have to own it, right? You have to own it. You have to own your failure in order to progress. But what if people are holding that against you still? Oh, then they will go to hell for that. Like... Right. I mean, like resentment. So I just taught at this, mm-hmm. at this thing, like the, the only way to kill the tyrant of the past 
And to have the past stop showing up in your present and in your future is if you have to do two things. When the past past becomes a tyrant, you have to do two things. You have to you have to repent of what you've done and you have to forgive people of what they've done. People are scared to repent because they don't want to own their problem. In prison ministry, they say they say that's the hardest thing, especially when people are newly imprisoned, because they're taught by lawyers never admit the truth. Right? So my fundamental thing, my corner on the evangelization market is teaching people how to repent. And the whole idea of it is like, you will never be free of your past if you don't own it and say, yeah, okay, 95% of it was my dad's fault. Okay. But the 5% that was mine, I own. Mm-hmm. Right? And then the other thing is forgiveness. Everyone thinks that we have an emotional aversion to forgiveness because, especially those who are really hurt, because we think forgiveness equals permission. Like what you did to me was okay. And that is not what forgiveness means. Forgiveness is the refusal to be mastered by and defined by my own wound. Right? So you hurt me. It's a wound. You hurt me and it, it's eating me up inside. It's festering. So what do I do? Well, I could cut it out, bleed it out, heal it, patch it, do whatever, or stick it in a stew, blow it up, mash <laughs> it, stick it in a stew. Potatoes. <laughs> Taters, precious. <laughs> Or you could do exactly what Schmeagel does, right? You good point. shove it deep down until you become a split personality and you try to kill fat Samwise. No, but that like that's what you become. You become someone who is born up by resentment. And you, you're not born up by it for very long. It's like floating on a lake of oil. You're, you're going to drown. And if the fumes don't kill you, everything else will. Like, you're, you're, like we think, it's like drowning your sorrows in alcohol. You're just irrigating them. But for the moment, you're numb. Right from the mm-hmm. moment you can forget, you think it's better, but it's always worse. The coping mechanism is always worse, but it gives you that momentary reprieve. And the same is true about people who refuse to forgive. Pretty soon, they lose the capacity. They become a resentful, bitter person. Right, yeah. and the past then owns them. The tyrant wins. The tyrant. I've definitely wins. been both. I think. Oh, I, we all have to some extent. You know, yeah. I think I think it's super easy. Like. It's it's just like I'm, I'm trying to think of a really good example that I could use. It's not like like that doesn't violate someone's yeah. privacy. <laughs> yeah, but I can't. So let me just use the stuff I've said on here before. <laughs> like there are things that I have said that I like. I'm like, you know what? Whoopsies. <laughs> and yeah, I think for the most part, there's a few things I'm trying to own a little little bit a uh, little bit more. There's some amends that I would like to. Make. Well, actually, actually, you know what? Let me go here. So in the 12-step program, they have a thing called, you, one of the steps is, I think it's like step seven or something. I don't know. You have to, you have to make amends. And I really like that because I think yeah. it gives the other person a chance to say, like, express their forgiveness or their hurt and try. You know, like you're actually giving them the opportunity to move on or to put it behind you. I think that's actually kind of cool. I've heard some people talk about how, like, you know, that it can, I mean, it's, it can definitely be tough, but, but there's, and why I bring that up is not, is not to like analyze the 12 steps or anything, but so like this past year, a lot of strained relationships, right? A lot of, you know, just bad, bad stuff. That, and that, and I've really, I've wrestled with this a lot. How, what, what do I need to forgive? Sometimes it's, it's obvious. What, so, sometimes it's obvious what, what you need to forgive. Sometimes it's blatantly obvious what you need to ask for forgiveness for. Yeah. Sometimes it's not. Like, and sometimes it's both. And 
I, I think back like to this podcast. There's a lot of things that we have said that I don't regret, but there's also some things that I'm like, I wish I had said that a little bit different. I, I wish I had um, maybe you know, maybe we should have talked about this before we just went, <laughs> you know. But but like that's also. But there's a part of me though, and I think a lot about our interview with Dr. Greg Bataro and about like really trying to, to love all these different parts of yourself. There's nothing that we've said on this podcast that I have ever said. This is true. This is honest to God's truth to try to get popular because it doesn't yeah. feel, to be honest with you, this doesn't really feel real besides the cover. Like to me, that the podcast in its own weird way, it, it exists between us and when I go back and I listen to it, and that's kind of it. I don't see other people. I've never seen someone process it. I've never seen the light bulbs go on on a person's, you know, in their eyes as they're hearing us talk because I don't ever see that part. So it's just this. It's just you and me. And it doesn't feel like, you know, 10,000 people are listening at times. And so, <laughs> so and, and until we invite an audience and they show up in the actual feed instead yeah. of <laughs> like, Yeah. So. It, it has never been about like trying to like, except for the oral sex that uh, for is still of sex that seek. That was pretty funny. <laughs> that was me. that was a great that was a that, that, that was, was a mean. great episode. But, that was, but there was truth there too, and I was trying to. But like it was yeah. being a little bit a raconteur. Yeah, yeah. But like, like sometimes you do something like you know what I should have realized that was going to be a problem. Like I, I like the fault may not have been in like actually going out and saying it the fault may have been not taking the time to really discern whether i should have done that or not because it's just like yeah. here's the thing this is really difficult like life is really 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 difficult it's really beautiful and it's really awesome and like sometimes your kid just wants to cuddle and they just like and they can give you the most insane amount of trust and love and sometimes they bite your ear at 3 30 <laughs> in the morning when you're vulnerable <laughs> yeah, yeah it's all of a sudden you're just like there's human teeth seeking into my ear <laughs> like, <laughs> you know and I, I just i think like this is, gonna, this is a really dark way to end this or to try to land the plane but here we go i think a lot about like i read a lot of history right always have always will i think a lot about like what it must have been like to have died in the second world war or in the first world war yeah. or to, like to be on the baton death march and to have see your friends falling over the side and be stabbed to death or to be on the USS yeah. um, in Indianapolis and to see people getting eaten by sharks one by one. Don't think yeah. that was God's plan for them. Where does conversion and God's will and repentance exist in any of that in this violent, horrific, like we, we, we can go through some horrible, 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 horrible things and we can inflict horrible things onto each, each other. And it is crazy to me that people found life after that. It is crazy to me that someone mm -hmm. could endure the Holocaust and then live a life where people got mad at them for like not turning on their turn signal. <laughs> like, yeah. And it's someone yeah. like, I survived the Holocaust. I should be able to do whatever I want. Or I was on the Baton <laughs> Death March. Yeah. Maybe don't be mad at me because I forgot to change lanes fast enough. You know, like, it's amazing our ability to endure and to find hope. And to change because we can go through some pretty horrible, ho like horrible stuff, and the sun can still rise, and we can still be made whole again. It's pretty amazing. It's pretty. It's pretty amazing. 
It, it is. And I come back to this one author who said, people keep asking me all the time, why are people so miserable? You know, why do you keep encountering people who are miserable and this and that? And he said, that's not the question that keeps me up at night. What keeps me up is when people go through all of these horrible things, how is anyone happy? It's like, life is so damn difficult. How are people happy? How are people sane? How have we not all just put a gun in our mouth and pulled the trigger? That makes sense. What doesn't make sense is people waking up and and being joyful even at the stuff they have to suffer through and all this stuff. He's like finding a way to go on and re recovering happiness and all that stuff. He said, that's shocking. That is what we don't give credit to human beings. And I think that's so absolutely foundational. That That is a foundational perspective because if life is defined very severely by suffering. And we're so privileged to be people who live in this time of technology, medicine, and, you know, uh, someone asked Dr. Peter Crave, what was the greatest invention? And he said, uh, how about anest anesthesia? How about painkillers? You know what it was like to get a tooth removed? Now you don't even think about it. It's like, it was the most painful experience of your life back then. So you think about these things. We live in a remarkable time that is as free of suffering as we can get. And yet look, mm -hmm. look around. Mm -hmm. Like it's like we're bored. So we make more suffering. I don't know. I don't know the, the level of suffering. Cause we do know that suffering breaks people. It breaks people's brains, breaks people's hearts. It breaks people's emotions. And like you were talking about, like seeing your buddies eaten alive, like not all of you gets to come back. It's true. Home. That is true. There's a reason why, uh, well, like Frodo has to go West. Yeah. Yeah. That is, that is a good point. That's a good point. There's an Orthodox priest and theologian that my buddy is reading, and we talk about it from time to time, but he talks about in this journal article how the Iliad and the Orthodox liturgy can heal people. Hmm. And we have talked about, we actually talked about this a long time ago because I was getting into the Iliad and rereading the Iliad and the Odyssey as part of Gomer needs to read high school books or whatever that segment that was. That was fun. And that was fun. That was fun. We should yeah. go back to that. Yeah, we should. I'm reading Dante. You can tell because I have because uh, I I am almost ha halfway through. Therefore, I feel qualified to talk about it and reference it. <laughs> yeah, because you're putting us through hell. Um, so the idea of it was like the guy said, he's a psychologist by trade, and he said, you know, it's amazing how few people we've been able to cure with intensive psychotherapy and psychoanalytics who suffer profound trauma. And he was talking about this one guy in particular who worked exclusively with Vietnam vets that had severe. PTSD. PTSD. And it was like 30 people, and out of the 36 didn't commit suicide. Ugh. Right. And he's like, and the the Orthodox perspective is you're trying to rationally argue a problem out of existence. And there comes a point where you just can't do that anymore. And he said, This is where liturgy is actually therapeutic because like smell and oh gosh what was it smell and hearing become the two senses that are engaged in an orthodox liturgy especially with all the incense and all the stuff that they use that it's constant and it's this thing that you don't have to perform but it's done for you around you you're immersed in you don't have activity except for receptivity and he goes on all this different stuff but i think about like so many people who have problems they think they can outsmart them Mm -hmm. the orthodox theologian wrote a book called the the ethics of beauty and he's talking about how the true act of 
all of ethics doesn't begin with the moral law. It begins with theophany, an experience of and which is a very orthodox way, of, a very Eastern way of approaching it. And I think the, the truth of the matter is in the West, we're so rationalistic, we keep mechanizing even emotions. And we try to make emotions as logical as possible in order to, in order to fix them. But they're not logic. They're not units of logic. And one of the things about the tyrant of the past is it's not logical to hurt, hold on to past hurts. Like in the movie Street Fighter, which is one of the greatest movies ever made in the 90s. <laughs> what a time to be alive. I know. The woman says to the, is it M. Bison, right? Like, you, you killed my family. You destroyed my village. And he goes, to you, it was the greatest trauma in your life. It was the worst day of your life. To me, it was a Tuesday. <laughs> and I think I honestly I I don't remember anything else about that movie except for Jean-Claude Van Damme and like mm-hmm. a boat. But that line is what a lot of people are doing when they refuse to forgive. Like that person might not even know that they hurt you that bad. Uh, it was a Tuesday. I don't even know. I was a jerk. And it's like, "No, no, you get back here. You get back here and submit to me and my hurt." And you're like, oh, "Okay, I'm sorry." I okay. And but we've built up such resentment that the past is winning the demonic version of the past. And it needs, like Dr. Bataro was talking about, it needs to be integrated, mm-hmm. not run away from and not hated and despised. And part of that too is I think it's like, I'm wondering is, is it like when you see that happening and another person doing that, owning whatever you did to maybe kind of, you know, add some hate to the fire, almost yeah. like the spark to a thing that was all, all uh, already there. Could have been the next person to do it, but it was you. You know, I, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm, that's something I'm still like, you know, I don't know, I, I think about that. Like, just based off of like, someone said something about us on Twitter, and I was like, what? <laughs> like, I was just so like, what? <laughs> and I was like, I, you know what? I don't know. I, I'm sure we did something that really hurt their feelings, and I don't understand this at all, but I'll just pray for them and let it go. <laughs> yeah. you, know, like, you know, and yeah. like, I'm sure we did something that like maybe really, really offended them. And that's, and I don't want to say who it was. I don't want, like, that's okay. Like, it's like, and I'm like, you know what? I like, maybe there's some part of this that I, maybe I need to think about this. Maybe I need to own this a little bit. I remember yeah. like journaling about it in a um, noodles and company thinking about it and just, so we're at the hour. I want to end with two things. Let me say one thing. Go ahead. And then you do your two things one and I'll thing. keep it short. So I was doing a parish mission in Kokomo, Indiana. Heard of it. Which would be an awesome place to take your, you're like your your fiance for your honeymoon, right? You say like we're gonna go to Kokomo, and then you take him to Kokomo, like, Indiana. <laughs> the rest of, of like marriage the- will be like this. <laughs> <laughs> Next for a one year anniversary, we're gonna go to Rome, Georgia. Who's ready for Paris, Kentucky? <laughs> so and being lied I to, was with in, like, I'm uh, let down. Go on. Yeah, yeah, go on, go on. Um, no, so this guy walked up to me. He waited for the the last talk at the very end. Walked up to me and said, "Great talk." Can I talk to you about something? And I said, yeah, sure. And he said, you don't know me, but you know my wife. And you hurt her feelings years ago. And she wrote you a couple emails saying, hey, you know, you said some unkind things that was about a friend of mine. And I honestly, like, I don't remember ever saying that. So I thought it was you. I didn't know it was me. But she said, like, okay, I moved on. You know, I love you guys. You're great. And then she wrote it again. And I remember seeing this and being like, oh, I don't think Luke's responded yet. Because it's all on Patreon and that was when I was being fussy. Maybe it was just an email. And so he goes, that's my wife. 
So can I, we make a video message to her right now <laughs> and say, hey, I know I don't know what I did, but I am sorry, and I would love to have you back or something like that. And I recorded it, and as soon as I hit send, I was like, wait a second, I know who this is. And it all like came rushing back. About. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it all came rushing back, and I was like, holy crap. I think about like that reply, all that like I oh man, I, I gotta reply to her. I gotta thank her for saying yeah. that and, and apologize for what I did. And that kept it would bubble up in my head when I'm not near a computer to type out a reply. And then I would forget, you know, typical well, but, but that's crap. And because now there's an anxiety mm-hmm. thing about it and time is good. So then I get all worried about it. And then I'm like, no, yes, no, yes. And so just doing that. And she wrote back like, oh, my gosh, this is so embarrassing. But thank you. I appreciate it. Well, it's it. funny, too, because like, <laughs> I, I, I know exactly what you are, are talking about. I think yeah. we got that. So, so we, we got it. Yeah. Just to kind of I, 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 I am not going to say who, but I don't think it's that it's yeah. like fair to them. We just got a person saying, hey. So here's why I was upset. Beautiful email. I think when I got it, I was going through a bunch of shit. Like, I remember being like, oh my gosh, this is so nice. I can't handle this right now. But like, I'll get, and like the same thing. And like sometimes, and it's not that it's not important. And this is, this is, this is not an, this is not an excuse, but sometimes it has nothing to do with the person. It's just like, I'm drowning and something's got to give. And I'm sorry that it's this. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that it was this. Or I like. I wanted to, but I, I just couldn't because a thousand other things were pulling at me that like, it's not that right. this is important or that you are important. And I, and I, it's sometimes you feel like I, I actually remember emailing with father Mike Schmitz about this a bit. Cause I was getting very overwhelmed with people coming with, yeah. um, reaching out to us. I'm like, I cannot carry all of this pain. I cannot do this. Like I cannot do this. And I, and I thought that I was like, I mean, there's some, like we had some um, listeners who were um, reaching out and I wanted to like be there for them. I wanted to view this as like, like as like a ministry. And I was at a point where I'm like, I, I can't, I'm, I, I, or even with my own ministry at that time, like I am I'm literally going, I remember if like I was like, I'm suffocating a little bit of ADHD as well, but like truly like almost having like a panic attack about that. And I remember like, I'm a father, I'm like, being like, just have a quick reply to things, have like a copy and pasted thing. You, not everything's got to be like original, not everything's got, you know, and it, I feel bad about that because, like, yeah, that's. And I, I should probably um, reach out to that person too. Luke's long, long list of amends because <laughs> um, it's like it's nothing personal. It just was like I was. It's it's me. It's me. <laughs> it's me. Hi, I'm the yeah. problem. It's me. Like I was just overwhelmed. Yeah. What's that great line from Chesterton? What's wrong with the world? And he wrote a two two word answer. Yeah, I, I was thinking more of the great Taylor Swift, but sure. It's me. Hi. Okay. Sorry. Oh. Oh right. That's right. So what were the two things you wanted? To- uh, so one, I went to an FF an FSSP mass, and I'm not going to talk about it at, at all on here until I figure out some stuff. Two, I have a new a new obsession, and it's steamed pot potpourri, where you take a steam pot, you put a bunch of water, and you put like like sliced lemons, like tonight I'm gonna do sliced um uh, sliced lemon and rosemary. It really <laughs> makes your place smell so much better. And it's less, it's kind of in line with the whole like less chemicals, clean my space thing. I'm like obsessed with it. I'm looking up summer um, recipes, Dude, spring recipes. You're so funny. You're, your house is going to smell like my mom's in any <laughs> minute. <laughs> so, so let me tell you a cool story to end. I, at least here's a positive story, right? So I did a parish mission two nights in Peoria Heights at St. Thomas the Apostle Catholic Church. So I go there and I'm staying in a hotel, normal hotel right? There's three hotels clustered over by this failed mall and whatever. And they gave me a truck to drive around in, which is super nice. And my homeboy, George. And so I, 
I go there. Hi, Mary. Um, I go there and I walk into the hotel. You know, I'm very nice to the front desk people. I go upstairs in my room, whatever. And I'm really just, I'm barely in the room, you know, just for sleeping and, and getting ready. And then I'm gone for most of the day. But I have the, they have the, they give you these little $10 vouchers. So on Saturday morning, I go downstairs and I walk up to the lady at the work in the coffee counter and I say, Hey, can I get some frothed milk? My wife <laughs> bought a milk frother and I can now no longer drink coffee without oh. frothing my milk. <laughs> oh my and she looked at me and she goes, Oh no, I don't, I don't know how to do that. I don't, I don't even, and a guy overheard who helps her out and he goes, Oh yeah, 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 yeah. We'll, we'll steam the milk. And it, it's kind of, it's close enough to that. And I was like, yes, yes, do that thing. So it was like normal drip coffee, three quarters of the way full, and then another quarter with the with the thing. So we just chit chatted really quick, and then like a little bit later, when I was coming back that night, I'm standing at the desk because my cards wouldn't work in the lock, and I'm just waiting and waiting. Five minutes go by, finally the guy comes in from outside, and he goes, "Oh my gosh, man, I'm so sorry. How long have you been waiting?" And I was like, "Oh no, that's fine. Just a couple of minutes." And he goes, "I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, dude. What can I do to make it up to you?" And I was like, "Uh, nothing. No, no. I mean, you're standing here all day. No one's coming by, and then you know, you step out for one minute, and that's when everyone shows up." I said, "Don't worry about it." He goes. No, no, no. Go over to the commissary. Pick anything out you want. It's fine. It's on me. I'm so sorry. And I go, no, no. It's, it's like, I don't even have to worry about that. I'm going right to bed anyway. Whatever. And he's like, dude, okay, okay. Well, if, if you want something tomorrow, just let me know. And I'm like, no, it's fine. So tomorrow was Sunday and I had to do an early mass. So I leave. Come back. Monday morning, I sit down. I'm eating breakfast and I'm talking with the woman. She sees me and she goes, hey, do you want your usual? the steamed milk and the drip coffee. And I'm like, that's my usual once. Yes, let's do it. She starts sharing. She's got seven kids. Her mother was just diagnosed with cancer. She's the only one that can help her. She had to move her mother to the hotel that she works in so that she can take care of her. So I'm telling about my dad's cancer struggles and we're kind of going back and forth, chemo and shrink the tumor so they can finally operate. And so she was just really saying, she's like, what are you doing here? And I said, well, I'm doing this parish mission at a church and blah, blah, blah. And she's like, well, I think God saved my mom by showing us the cancer and all these things. And, it was just like a very short but very sweet, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get stuff done for every knee shall bow, and I just put the pen down and trying to be present this woman. Leave, come back, leave, come back, blah, blah, blah. Luke, you'd think I hung the moon for these people. Like this guy that I have never seen walks up to me and he goes, hey, man, you're the guy that likes his milk froth. Do you want one right now before you go? We're going to reopen at five. I'll make you one real quick before anyone else shows up. I'm like. Actually, yeah, I got a late night tonight. That'd be awesome. And he's like, okay, yeah, no, no, no. I, yeah, you know, Samantha was talking about you earlier. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Samantha, yeah. And then we talk a little bit. So I go out to the, the parish mission. And I, before I start the mission that night, I go, hey, can I tell you about a woman named Samantha? She has seven kids. She's the only one taking care of her mother who has, you know, all this stuff. Like, can we just pray for her? So we have a whole church prays for her. That night I'm coming in. And I let him know, like, hey, we, I go, I tell the guy, go tell Samantha, we had 300 people in church tonight, pray for her, for her kids, and for her mom. And he's like, oh my goodness, like, oh, that's so awesome. Can I, can I give you free stuff? <laughs> I was like, no, you can't, can like, that's fine. Gallon of milk. What? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. So the, it was, and I said, I, the whole mission was like that. It was like, there was just this blanket of peace that like envelop people. And I said to my wife, I was like, I don't understand. I wasn't doing anything. And she goes, maybe they're not used to be treating like treated like a human being. And you gave them time. And I was like, okay, then I get dropped off at the airport five 15 in the morning, hand the TSA agent, my ID. She looks at it, looks at me and she goes, man, I am so bummed. I missed your parish mission. And I was like, what? 
And she goes, I go to the neighboring parish and I had this, my kids had a soccer game away and I was in St. Louis, crappy St. Louis. All, and I was like, oh, I can't wait to tell my wife that. And, I was, <laughs> and she goes, but I wanted to come to the parish mission so bad. Did you record it? And I was like, I sure did. <laughs> I don't talk without recording everything. <laughs> Remember that. And it was the weirdest, funniest, most righteous moment of my life. From beginning to end, so I'm kind of I'm kind of on cloud. That's nine. fantastic. Look at the, I, you didn't tell me about the yeah, TSA so, part. That's crazy. I didn't. You, I I did. Just like I didn't tell you about me going to the FSSP mass. Yeah, I'm proud of you for not telling me that because I had to text the priest who's the pastor to look out for you. Did you talk to him at all? I thought about it, but Ugh. I was I was um with Everly, and I so I, this is all I'll say. At the the I have no idea what was going on because I was late and I had Everly, so you know I wasn't paying attention. But I mean I was trying to. <laughs> yeah. But, at the Latin Mass, it's perfectly <laughs> no, fine. This is so much better. <laughs> when was this? Yeah, was this, this last on, night? On Sunday. A daily no, low no, 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 mass. No, 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 you no, might as well not even was be there. On Sunday. <laughs> it was the high okay, mass. It okay. took forever. And so, yeah. I, uh, no, I, I mean, I, I don't think it was better than, than the Universal or anything, but I did. Uh, at the, so during like, they played a song. The, the choir was incredible. They had like a, you know, and they had a whatever choir yeah. thing. And so they played that song. I forget the name of it. It's the one like, Alison something. I'm messy. It's the one that the Pope was like, it's it's illegal to sing this outside of the Vatican after he heard it. It's gorgeous. It's like Alisari, it's something, something, yeah. something. And I just it's one of my favorites. Palestrina? No, it's one of my favorite songs oh. in the world. Really? It's like allegory something. I don't know. Allegra. Yeah. Allegra, A-L-E-G-R. Yeah. Anyways, I forget. Anyways, they start to play that. They start, they start so I, and I promised Everly if she was good, we would go get donuts. And so she was like, donuts. And she like, at the end, like runs out, like into like, like, like side aisle. And like some guy gave me some, like a bad look. And I was like, that's why I don't want to go <laughs> you right there. But anyways, and so I was like, Hey, let's just stay. This is one of dad. This is like daddy's one of his all time favorite song. So she stayed and I started choking up while I was hearing it because I love this song so much. And I've actually gone into adoration before. This is my, and by God, I mean, I, I've done it once at our parish out in Kentucky. And I remember like going to adoration on, it was during Holy week sometime. They did 24 hours of adoration and I brought my headphones and I played that song while I was in adoration just to hear this like in actual prayer, but to be in a church space with that song playing, I felt like God was just like, Hey, this is for right now. I know you don't get it. And you have a lot of questions, a lot of, you know, valid concerns about some stuff. (laughs) And the dialogue that people that are involved with this like to do online and whatnot, this is where I, I just like, I got like, I was like crying. I mean, I was like, not like I was. Yeah, this is, this is for you. This is for you. This yeah. song oh, sorry. I thought you were going to play something. And I was like, yes. No. no. <laughs> I was close to openly weeping, but that's fine. I'm only 40. <laughs> there, there have been several times where I'll just stop when the music is going. And I'll just be like, you know what? I don't need to sing. I just need to be here and receive whatever is being given. And I've choked up plenty of times. <gasps> Hello, doggy. Plenty. Yeah. It's yeah. Hello, my dog doggy. I love dogs. Well, Luke, I look forward to talking about nope. this with more yeah. clarity. In <laughs> not the on the future. podcast because I sure as shit am not going to get involved in any of these liturgical wars. I will. Okay. Oh. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, you can find <laughs> us at catchingfoxes.cf. <laughs> 
Hey guys, just so everyone's aware, we're going to be now releasing episodes every week, which you got the little bonus episode on Wednesday telling you that that's going to happen. (laughs) (laughs) So, which I have yet to record, but time doesn't matter post 2020. So we are back every week. Thank you to Joe. Joe's the new editor of Catching Foxes. We are paying Joe to do that, and uh, we are thrilled to have him on board. So now there are four people part of the Catching Fox team again. So that's fun. And now it'd be a good time to go to Patreon. (laughs) Patreon. (laughs) Patreon.com. And Rachel, who designed our T-shirt stuff, guess where she lives? Peoria. Guess who I had lunch with? Rachel. Oh, it was awesome. She's she's, she's wonderful. So she really is. She really is. She's incredible. So had a great time. And she came to my talks, and that's all that matters. All right, Luke, I love you, buddy. Bye. Bye. Joe, take out that part there. And now you earn your keep, Joe.